Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're continuing our series today on the seven churches of Revelation. In the Bible, the Apostle John records a vision given by the Holy Spirit, which contains specific messages for the churches located in modern-day Turkey. Last week, we were reminded about returning to our first love. God reminds us that our relationship with Him needs to come first, above everything else. Today, Pastor Nicole is going to look at two more of these letters, and we're going to be reminded how we become strong in our faith and how to persevere through the hardships we face. So let's continue our series today. Here's Pastor Nicole. Today, I am really excited to share another message in a series uh, continuing to center around Revelation. Um, I also want to tell you uh, that 18 years ago today, Joel made the best decision of his life and married me. So (laughs) actually, I made the good decision. But uh, so we're celebrating today uh, as well as through Memorial Day. And so we're really excited to just be here in the house of the Lord today. So let's just dive right in. In Revelation chapters 1 through 3, um, the Lord dictated letters to seven churches, and the apostle John wrote them down. And John was the writer of the gospel. He was also the closest disciple to Jesus. And all of these churches were found in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. I kind of have a map here for you to look at. And the names of those churches were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And the directives in these letters were not just for the congregations back then, they are for us today. And so that's why we're studying them. And in Revelation 1, each church was represented by a lampstand, hence the lampstands up here this morning. And this is a brilliant picture of God's work among us. Jesus is making sure the light of each church stays strong and bright. That's the end goal. But not just every church, but also our personal lives. Because like we talked about last week, what makes the church? It's certainly not a building, is it? It's us. It's you and it's me. We could have church together anywhere that we go. And so this idea of a lampstand burning bright is very much corporately and also very personal And we are to be the light that burns brightly into spiritual darkness. And Jesus helps us change. He helps us um, adjust. He helps us get to a point where our light is being uh, shown the greatest and the best. So last week, we talked about the content of the letter to the church in Ephesus. And today, we're going to look at the next two letters. I'm going to ask Pastor Andy if he would read uh, the, the, the letter from Jesus to the church in Smyrna. As he reads it, I want you to imagine this is a, uh, addressed to Erie First Assembly. It's addressed to you personally, your family. And so, Andy, would you read it to us this morning? To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. 
So it appears in this letter to the church of Smyrna that the congregation was suffering afflictions. It kind of popped out to me this morning when he said, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. This is going to happen to you for 10 days. Uh, some of you here today, I sometimes wish the Lord would tell me how long a season would be, don't you? Like, don't worry, your singleness will only end on this time. You, you could get there then if you knew, or your financial trouble would end in a few days. Uh, but oftentimes we don't know when those afflictions, afflictions or those seasons are over. And um, they were dealing with poverty, they were being slandered, some of them put in prison uh, to suffer persecution for their faith. And in this time, the Roman Empire was about 60 million people, about 5 million were Jewish people, and of those 5 million, only about 50,000 uh, were Christians. And so it was a very small uh, portion of the, of the population there, and the Jewish people condemned the Christians. They believed they were spreading false truth, and they targeted them. And I love how Jesus begins this letter by reminding the church, reminding his people of his authority. Revelation 2.8, he says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. And Jesus is saying, look, I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one which was dead and now is alive. Like, make no mistake who is authoring this letter. <laughs> there is authority in the pen and in the words of this letter. And Jesus himself, he's no stranger to persecution. He suffered. He was rejected. He was crucified. But he overcame death and he rose again victoriously. And this introduction to the letter was reminding the church of Smyrna that, look, there is hope for the future. You serve a living God and Jesus is still your authority and provision and will always be faithful. So Jesus sends a message to the Christians in Smyrna who are being persecuted. And he says in verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Read these last four words with me. Yet you are rich. Say it again. Yet you are rich. Now, what did Jesus mean? He did not mean stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, okay? He is not saying you are rich. In fact, the church was in poverty. The people were being looked over and slighted and not given opportunities for economic wealth. But they were rich in Christ. They were rich in Christ. And our wealth isn't measured by the world's standards. We are not rich because of what we have externally or what assets we acquire or how important we are. We are rich in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.12 reminds us this. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So what has God freely given us? What makes us rich in Christ? Well, God has freely given us so many gifts. These are a few that the Lord reminded me this week as I prepared. One, God has given us the gift of everlasting love. His love is unconditional. His love is unending. His love never changes. His love always meets us in every moment. Yesterday, Joel and I were walking out of Walmart because we went to Walmart on our anniversary date. Okay, it's 18 years. And, uh, and as we walked out, uh, he, he accidentally almost uh, ran into a woman by accident. And she looked at him and said, well, have a great day. Jesus loves you. <laughs> to, to, to which
which we kind of looked at each other and Joel was like, I guess that's a nice way of saying, excuse me. I'm like, I guess so. Maybe the Lord wanted to remind us today of his everlasting love. I told him we should start trying that. Like that's our new, our new uh, moment. But God has given us this gift of everlasting love. How many of you this morning, raise your hand if you would say, look, I feel God's love, like his love never changes. I've done a lot of idiot stuff, but the Lord still loves me and I'm thankful for that. Amen. His everlasting love. God has given us the gift of eternal life. You know, we all deserve eternal punishment, but through our Lord Jesus, he's brought us eternal life by his blood. Eternal life is not free. Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid a high price for it, a cost for it. And it is free to us, it's free for us, but it's because he gave it as a gift to us. God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to live a victorious Christian life. He is active. He's with us. He pours out his gifts. He, he, he helps us grow fruit in our lives. God has given us authority over the enemy. God has given us calling. He's given us purpose. He's given us a reason to get up in the morning. God has given us hope and given us peace. I could go on, but God has given us all these things and more and more and more. And so what Jesus is reminding the church of Smyrna and what he's reminding you today is that if you're suffering... If you are facing difficulty and hardship in a wilderness season today, don't forget you are rich in God. You are rich in God. And it was all free stuff that you didn't earn and that you don't have to keep. You don't have to work to keep. That you are rich in God. So then Jesus reminds the church in verse 10, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. The other night, uh, the Nature Channel was on in the background. I'll give you just a hot guess who watches the Nature Channel in our house. It's not me. And, uh, but it was on. And as I was walking through the living room, it caught my attention for a minute. No dog on the Nature Channel. Okay, it's good. It's good. I'm just saying. And uh, there were some scientists on there talking about a biosphere dome. Uh, this a biosphere dome is a self-sustained, self-contained, perfect environment uh, that they study plants and trees and things. They, they kind of eliminate any of the extra things that could happen in the, you know, in the wilderness. And they say, okay, we're going to study uh, what plants and trees are like in this particular element. And the scientists were surprised on this program because the trees were not growing tall and straight. They were bending over. And so the conditions were perfect, and they just could not understand why is this happening? Like, there's no, uh, we, we have controlled the temperature, we have controlled the, uh, any bugs, you know, we've controlled anything in this area. Why is this happening? And they concluded that the reason the trees were not strong enough to grow straight is because actually there was no wind or storms. So they had produced this perfect environment, but that environment without any resistance actually produced unhealthy trees. And without adversity, those trees grew quickly at first, but they did not have the strength to stand tall. And, and the Holy Spirit just, just said something to me right in that moment that as Christ followers, we create in our mind this idea that Jesus is the one who keeps me from all my problems. Like I go to Jesus with my problems, he takes my problems. <laughs> Jesus is the one who, who I walk into an environment, he keeps me safe. We believe that Jesus' primary job is to make sure that my life is easy and my life is convenient. And then when it's not, we get a little frustrated with Jesus. 
We get a little frustrated with, well, what's happening? Well, where are you, God? Are you even in my life? I'm dealing with all these things. Have you even shown up? Are you even hearing me? Oftentimes we think our faith is working when we have all the blessings we need, when everything is going really well. We're like, wow, man, my faith is good. Like, I must be praying good. <laughs> you know, I, I must have a lot of like credits in the bank with God because things are really good. This is an awesome time of my life. And then we think God is only hearing us when we're getting everything we ask for. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and you're like, God, you are not hearing me. And I love God is probably saying, yes, I am. And that is not a good decision. But, but oftentimes we don't hear that from the Lord. Here's the truth. Without suffering, without affliction, without persecution, I believe that Jesus knows we will be tall trees that cannot withstand a storm. The perfect environment never produces faith. How do you get your faith? Not from living in a biosphere where the trees have nothing to have against them. The, the, like a biosphere, the trees were unhealthy because they never had to deal with a wind or a storm. How we get our faith is through the wind. It's through the storm. It is through the battle. I love 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Let me read this to you. It says, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus says to Smyrna and to us, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful to the end because this persecution is what will earn you the victor's crown. And only under the pressure of hardship and persecution can we fully see the world's shallowness and deception. You, you know, it takes pressure to remind us of what is real and what is lasting and what is not. And only under persecution our weaknesses become strengths. Spiritual character is released in us when we face hardship. In fact, we talk a lot um, as a staff team, okay, how, you know, how, how do we help people grow in their faith, right? How do we get them deep and roots and, and be, be full of, of the Holy Spirit? And, and you know what the answer is often is that the fragrance of Christ is best expelled when we're broken, when we're peeled back. That's when the fragrance of Christ comes out of us. God, in, God said, here, I'm going to use you and I'm going to use your life to spread the gospel to everyone around. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with your life. And then he said, in your broken, busted up, difficult, peeled back life, that's exactly what I want to use. It made me think of some everyday things that are the same way. Um, for example, an orange. If you smell the peel of this orange... In fact, Andy, smell the peel of my orange. Somebody take a picture of this because you won't be able to explain it in like 10 years. All right, can you smell anything? A little tiny bit, not a lot, right? But if I were to peel this orange open, like if I were to break it open and peel it off, it was sometimes the most wonderful, sometimes I, I don't even want to eat the orange, but I peel it to smell it. Anybody else? Is that a bad confession? Like I just want to smell, like it smells clean, right? This idea that you can smell this orange through the whole house if I peel it. I thought of another example, maybe a little bit different. I won't make Andy smell my onion. But how about an onion? 
all the skin on this onion, it's hardly pungent. Maybe a little bit if I, if I get real close to it. But cut this baby up. Me and Andy will be crying on this stage. And the rest of you. Somebody wants me to do this so they can take a picture. I just see this on the front row. All right. <laughs> Here, here's the idea. Fragrances sense they're much stronger when they're poured out, when they're broken open, and when they're peeled back. And Christ uses us to spread his message everywhere. And in order for our fragrance, our smell, our perfume, our life to be the most strong and most effective and most pungent, we have to be broken before the Lord. I think this letter to Smyrna just raises this question in me. How? How do we learn the faithfulness of God? And the answer is we learn the faithfulness of God through the fight. We learn the faithfulness of God through the fight. The pressure reveals the faithfulness of God. Great moments are preceded by difficult moments. That's the way it works. You don't even have to like it. You just have to see that that's the way it works. When you have something in your life that's hard and strange and difficult, that is not God punishing you. That is God giving an opportunity to show his faithfulness to you so that your tree trunk of faith will be strong and tall and that you are able to deal with the things that will come in your life in the future. I love these examples from scripture. Uh, what do you think of first when you think of David? the first thing you do when you think of David? Right, his fight with the giant. Right, you think of the giant. He had so many stories in the scripture, but you know what he's known for? The day he showed up and said, uh-oh, what are we going to do? Because there's this big giant in front of me, and I don't have the strength to do it. What do we know about Daniel? Well, there's some lions that wanted to eat him, but he escaped the lions then unharmed. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, we know there was a fire, and they were thrown into it. What do we know about Noah? There was a flood and he had to build a big boat and everybody thought he was big crazy because no one believed that there was going to be rain. What do we know about Gideon? He had a big army that was too big for him to face. What do we know about Paul? There was a shipwreck and there was torture. And what do we know about Jesus? There was a cross and there was a tomb and then there was a victory like, he, his entire, uh, the gospel is centered around the fact about the enemies that we will defeat. You will be known by the enemies you defeat and the battles that you win. People have said it this way, there is no testimony without a test. Man, I love that when you're telling that to somebody else, isn't it? Well, there's no testimony without a test. Glory, you know, hallelujah. And you're going, I don't want this test. This is not what I want. And I want you to know today, if you are in that test, if you're in that battle season, you will be known by the battle you win with God's help. A battle is an opportunity for a victory. You know, the only prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. Nobody wants the problem. Everybody wants the miracle. But when that problem or that battle comes, Jesus says to this church of Smyrna, look, I have all this power and authority to stop this persecution. But instead, he warns the church of Smyrna and he warns us today, persecution and hardship will come. But remember, you're rich in God. Don't be afraid. Be faithful to the end and keep your lampstand burning bright. I just wanted to pause here just for a moment 
uh, just be in the presence of the Lord. Ask Andy if he would just kind of lead us. Would you just lean in to what I just said, some of those scriptures and what God is telling you this morning? Lord, I choose to let you break the open Cause I know in my brokenness that I come alive for you So I choose at just one more letter today from Revelation 2. Uh, Pastor Andy, would you read to us, uh, to the church in Pergamum, what Jesus has to say? To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. 
So Pergamum is about 50 miles north of Smyrna. Uh, that's about the distance between here and the Grove City Outlet Mall. I don't know that for any particular reason. Um, but in that time, Pergamum was the seat of government for the province of Asia. Uh, it'd be similar to like Washington, D.C. today, if you can imagine. And Jesus introduces himself in this letter as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. He is intentionally co contrasting himself with the Roman governor. In Pergamum, they would say that the governor had the right of the sword. Well, in other words, the governor had the authority to impose the death penalty. He could say, off with your head, and that was what would happen. In fact, as verse 13 says, a man named Antipas was the pastor of the church of Pergamum, and history tells us that Antipas was put to death in a very cruel and horrific way. And John and Antipas probably knew each other. John likely ordained and commissioned him into his leadership role. And Jesus is saying, look, uh, you, call, you think the governor is in charge? Let me tell you about my authority. Let me tell you about what I can do. And, and as we saw, Smyrna, the neighboring town, was approaching a season of persecution, but Pergamum was just coming out of one. Uh, this church watched their pastor be put to death by those in authority, and they still stayed strong and faithful to their cause. But something is wrong in this church, and Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, I have a couple things against you. And he talks about how the people in the church had been engaging in idolatry and immorality, and Jesus references the false teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. I don't know, Andy probably said it better than I did, but whatever that word is. And these teachings are related. Now, let me tell you really quick the story of Balaam. It's found in Numbers 22 through 24, but here's the summary. The king of Moab says to Balaam, I want you to go curse this tribe of Israel over the Jordan River. I want you to go and curse them. And Balaam says, okay, because he, he's getting paid to do it. It's like his job. And so every time Balaam opens his mouth, he tries to go and curse this tribe. Out of his mouth come blessings, not cursings. God literally shields his people from the curses of this prophet. So... Balaam was, was hired by this king to destroy Israel. He wanted to do what he was paid to do. Maybe he was even motivated by getting the money that, that was promised to him. So he suggests another strategy. It's almost like an end around. And he tells the king, okay, this, here's what I want you to do. I want you to send some Moabite women to seduce the men of Israel with, with sexual immorality and idolatry because when you do that, God will become righteously anger, angry with that tribe and destroy it. And so that's exactly what happens. It arouses God's righteous anger and against Israel, and that tribe is destroyed. And the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of the Nicolaitans, they were a toxic combination. It went something like this. Uh, go to the temples, have relationships with, with cult prostitutes, drink and be merry. It's okay. God forgives us. We are free in Christ. All your sins will be forgiven. Let's just celebrate his grace together. That's kind of like what the modern day message was. And the messages from these sources promoted the idea that believers could partner with the world and it wasn't a problem. These teachers convinced the Christians that they could, in fact, ignore the standards of God's holiness. There won't be any major consequences. Just let a little sin in. Like, that's no big deal. That's what these teachers are telling these Christians that are inside of this church. Now, now, now imagine this. Here we watch the Church of Pergamum valiantly withstanding 
external threats. Okay, people are coming, taking their pastor and killing their pastor in front of the people. And they're like, our faith is strong. We will never waver. We'll go with them if we need to. They're having this incredible response. But now, just a short time later, they're being threatened and corrupted by what's happening inside. And it just goes to show that lie and that belief that you can live any way that you want was about to destroy the church from the inside out. It was what was happening on the inside that was about to destroy this church. And Pergamon started to look more and more like the world. And what Jesus is warning us here through this letter is that the enemy will try to destroy the church The enemy will try to destroy your spiritual life in one of two ways. He will try to use persecution, like we saw in Smyrna and Pergamum. But if persecution does not work, he will use the weapon of compromise. He will try to get us to compromise. And if we compromise from the standard and the reverence of God's holiness, no one even has to come to this door to attack us. We are already going to go under all by ourselves. And that very same thing happens in our own spiritual lives is if you choose to compromise in secret, you don't even need anybody to come after you in public because you will drown your spiritual life all by yourself. When it comes to compromise, Revelation 2.16 tells us that this is nothing to mess around with. It says, repent, change, flee from compromise. And if you flee from compromise, God will bless you. I use some examples in that letter. God will let you eat from the manna. He will give you a stone with a new name on it. God will keep your lampstand burning bright. There are rewards. There are rewards to fleeing from compromise. As we talked about these letters are to the churches, and the church, the church is you, and the church is me, and all of these little decisions collectively make the church what it is today. And these letters implore us, don't let persecution or compromise take us from our first love. And so we're going to worship to that end today. I want you to stand up, please, and we're going to kind of go into worship here And we're going to think of these things. Uh, We want to be ready for persecution when it comes. We want to be um, ready to not compromise when we're tempted. And we want to have these strong things that will put us in a position that our lampstand will be burning bright. As we prepare to worship this morning, before we go into worship, I I really wanted to just take a few minutes as a church um, to really pray together uh, for some communities in our nation that have been rocked these last few weeks by violence. Uh, honestly, it's, it's hard to make sense of. It's hard to um, think about. It's hard to even talk about these shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. And these two tragedies will be uh, remembered as a day of pain for many families um, for the rest of their lives. And I was thinking today that Uh, Oftentimes we say to ourselves, well, all we can do is pray. It's all we can do. And the Holy Spirit just reminded me this morning that, no, that's not all we can do. One of the most powerful things we can do is pray. Because we believe prayer changes things. We believe that prayer brings heaven to earth. 
And how many of you would say this morning, we need a little bit more heaven on earth, don't we? Because what it looks to me all around me is a whole lot of evil and a whole lot of, of anger and a whole lot of things that should not be, should not, should not affect innocent people going to a grocery store or young little kids in an elementary school. And I want to tell you this morning, it's okay to be angry. Like, it's okay to be angry at the right things. It's okay to be angry at evil. Like, get mad. Like, it's okay to be angry at the enemy. It's okay to be angry at how unjust and how unfair these actions were. As Christians, we, we sometimes, I don't know, we're like afraid to say it. No, that is wrong, and, and I am angry that that happened. I don't want to push blame to who. That, that's where we get in trouble is when we decide who we're angry at. But today, we can be angry at the evil in the world. Like We can be angry that, that this allowed it to happen, and it's okay for us to grieve. It's okay for us to be hurt and confused. And Jesus meets us right in these moments. Jesus is the one that we can turn to. So I just want to, I really want to pray for these families. I want to ask you today to take a posture of prayer, a posture of prayer to a very real God, to a God that hears us. This isn't like just a, a moment of, um, uh, we're just doing this because we should. Like, like I really, we're praying to a God who can do something about it. As I watch the news and I see all these varying opinions about how we can fix this problem, sometimes I shout at the TV, okay, yeah, but also Jesus, right? Also Jesus, like Jesus is the one who has to meet us in these moments. Jesus is the one who has to meet these people with hate in their heart and melt it away and turn it into this understanding that every single life is exactly valuable as another. Like Jesus has to do that work. Nothing else can do that work. And so I'm just gonna ask you, maybe you wanna sit back down, maybe you wanna stand or kneel, maybe you wanna come to the altar this morning just almost in, in proxy for these victims, just asking God to do something for them. Maybe you wanna close your eyes or raise your hands. I guess what I really want you to do is as I pray this morning, I want you to pray too. Like, I don't want you just to listen to me pray. I want us, 8150 Oliver Road in Erie, Pennsylvania, to offer up some prayer so that heaven comes to earth. And so let's just do that this morning. We just get in a posture of prayer and let's just ask the Lord. Jesus, oh, we're so sad. Like we grieve the loss of these precious lives through this senseless violence in Buffalo and Uvalde. And God, we cry out to you, we beg you for you to comfort the families of these victims, God. The grandmas and the grandpas and the moms and the dads and the sisters and the brothers and the friends that will have to live with this violence all of their days. They'll have to deal with something so difficult. And we believe your word when you say, you heal the brokenhearted and you bind up their wounds. And so God, we're asking you, Jesus, would you meet these families in these communities even right now? Would you be near to them? Would you save those who are crushed in spirit? Would you meet each of those family members and friends right now in an overwhelming way, God? Would you show them that you are our present hope? you are close, that you are nearer than the breath that they breathe, God. And, and even though they're facing this trial, you have not abandoned them, God. You are still so close to them. 
God, I pray for a special anointing and, and pour of your Holy Spirit in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas, Lord God, like none we've ever seen, that your Holy Spirit would come out there, Father, and that many would come and know the understanding of the truth and the peace of the gospel and who you are. God, we know you oppose the proud and unjust. God, you oppose those who hurt and attack others. And God, we know that you love every single person equally. And Jesus, there is no room for racism or hate in your kingdom, no room. So God, we pray right now, more of heaven on earth. God, more of heaven in this church, more of heaven in this city. God, more of heaven in this state, more of heaven in this country, Lord. That it would, it would continue to close the gap, that it would continue uh, to bring to us this understanding of your deep love for every single person, your, your equivalent, overwhelming, unending love. And God, we know that someday you will make all things right. Sometimes it's not on this side of heaven, God, but we have faith and hope that someday you will make all the wrong things right. And so we pray your justice would prevail in our land. God, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And God, that we would not seek avenge or justice ourselves, Father God, but that we could trust you, Lord, that you are going to do it. You are gonna make all these wrong things right. God, you're a good father and we can trust you today. God, reveal to us how we can help bring comfort and healing and help to those hurting around us. God, show us how to be part of the solution to this broken world. Show us how we can be part of the solution to stop these acts of violence going forward, Father. I pray even right now you would foil the plans of the enemy, Lord, that you would foil the plans of those that think this is a good idea, even right now in Jesus' name, that you would do that, that you would pull apart those plans and that no more life will be lost, Father God. I pray you would help us speak hope and love and peace everywhere we go and that we can truly believe the power of the Holy Spirit and the shed blood of Jesus can stop this hate and evil, Lord God. That we can do these things in a way that shows our faith, Lord, empower us to be bright lights for you. God, we want our lampstand to burn bright individually and corporately, speaking up about your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, most importantly, we don't want to be good at anything else better than we're good at loving you. So God, today we just love you. We pour out our love to you. And we pray a special grace on these communities today in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas, Lord God. We pray a special grace upon them. And we love you. And it's in your good and righteous name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just worship this morning.
stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Thank you for listening to the Eerie First Podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.